This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI Audio's on air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Ladies and gentlemen, we're settling in for the Tuesday edition of the program. And uh, of course, before we do the show, Rummy and I gather with the team and we talk about different things, sometimes stuff that we want to put in, whether it's a spoken word segment, whether it's, you know, getting things set up, we know who we're talking to, when, and, and maybe I, if I know anything, I'll talk about the clips that we might be sharing or just sort of flush out biggest and hardest decision to make because we may say, well, we've got a segment like this. This obviously would go in here. However, maybe that would be saved for another one. It's sometimes really difficult because you can't necessarily guess how Rumya might take this item, uh, Jeffy over there listening in, or Matt, uh, or Grant himself when we're looking mm-hmm. at things. Well, there are always stories that we want to feature, highlight, spend a couple minutes talking with guests on here, um, having people share their voices, their passion about initiatives that they're starting. But definitely true when it comes to how much time we have, first of all, to have the discussion and where we want to go with it. And then also where can we find the space or where does it make the most sense to have this uh, conversation. Like the the biggest example is we know that the International Day of Persons with Disabilities is coming up on December 3rd and there are a lot of things going on um, surrounding that and we want to make sure we squeeze in every last drop of it. We make sure we have cut for time for sometimes when we're talking to somebody because they may say something and what we may want to add, yeah, okay, I'd love to go there, but we've got a whole segment to finish up and a direction that the guest wants to go in or contributor. So we save it and give our interpretation sometimes of it. Sometimes it's in an article and the way Grant takes something may be different than the way that I would take it. And we say, well, maybe this belongs in this segment or can we, do we have the time to put out both impressions? Because you want everyone out there, we assume you're all going to have your own impressions of something, your own interpretation and belief behind that. So it's it's fun on a show like this to have the, the time sometimes to do it, but you'd be surprised how much we run out of time trying oh, to put out the, the different arguments, discussions or opinions. All the time. Yeah, it's... An interesting time. Well, anyway, Ramya Muthan, she's at the home studio in Toronto. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program, and I am at my home studio in London, Ontario. Let's take a look and see what we've got ahead on Kelly and Company. Nutritionist Julia Carenches brings us ways to stay calm or practice calmness during the busy holiday season. Lots and lots of opportunities to practice calmness, uh, if you ask me. We're going to be chatting with Johnny Tai, a blind artist based in British Columbia, about his passion for fine arts and his upcoming residency at the Vancouver Grunt Gallery. And on our parenting conversation today, Lucia Belafonte discusses how parents and children can enjoy and embrace the best of the holidays together. We'll get into that conversation with her in Hour 2 here on Kelly and Company. Well, folks, I've never been the greatest student at math, but this one, this conundrum really has me, so I'm going to need a little help sorting this one out. Two newborn babies are said to be technically older than their four siblings, who are eight, six, three, 
and almost two years old. This reporter explains how that's possible. Philip and his wife, Rachel, decided to take part in an embryo adoption program when they discussed having more kids. Been overlooked for you know reasons beyond their control that had been waiting for so long for a mom and a dad. The now parents of six are from Oregon, but traveled to Knoxville, Tennessee, to participate in the National Embryo Donation Center's program. Embryos originally frozen three decades ago were successfully thawed, transferred, and then delivered. They've been a, a, a joy to have um, to us. Cryogenics, for me, back in the day, were the thing that really, really threw me off because it was just like, what? And again, we talked more. We'd see in our favorite scientific shows or science fiction shows, I guess I really should say, we would get these storylines of some adult human frozen and coming back like Buck Rogers 500 years later. The twins, Lydia and Timothy Ridgway, are the longest frozen embryos uh, to ever result in a successful live birth. Fantastic, isn't it? Uh, wow. Yeah, it's fantastic. Hold on, I'm it's... just going to get your black mirror out again. Yeah, I know. Um, it's fantastic. It's also pretty wild to think. Like, I mean, you hear about. Don't get me wrong, because you hear about freezing used in all kinds of way, right? Like sperm and eggs and all kinds of things like that related to the reproductive, but. This, because you know it's still a giant milestone, it feels very, like, um, unbelievable, surreal. I always wonder if people younger than myself, let's say 20 years younger, feel differently that this is obviously not so unbelievable, whereas when I was a teenager, it was like, yeah, I wonder how many, uh, if we're 100 years from that happening, or 60 years, or Yeah, or not what. fathomable. Yeah, mm-hmm. then you get 10, 15 years later, it's, you know, I guess we're about 15 years from that being, or 10 years, maybe at that point, or in my lifetime, that was our favorite thing to say, this will probably happen. So, it still catches uh, your breath, though. Because yeah. when we, we've talked about how close autonomous vehicles are as a, as a comparison, right? Right, yeah. Um, how it's, they're here. They're being tested. They're on the streets already. The, the science is there. The technology is there. The people are there. They're happening. Um, and yet when we say, hey, by the way, like next year, you'll start seeing way more cars on the road. That still to me is like, whoa. Yeah. It's here, here. Well, and the people designing them will say, yeah, guys, slow down, because we are still really in phase one or something like that, one and a half of, of I think it's seven steps to get to, um, maybe five. Maybe I'm exaggerating, going off the top of my head, so don't yeah. quote me on that, But folks. it's happening in the background. It is. And again, you know, telling us, don't get so excited. That's why people, you're always chuckling when somebody says they got pulled over or they tried to climb into the backseat of what they thought was their driverless car to take a nap. And no, we're not there yet. Uh, But speaking of kind of the limits, let's talk about the limits. What can we learn about the limits of the human mind and body by pushing Chris Hemsworth's mind and body to the limits? That's explored in the new TV series, Limits. The series Limitless push Chris Hemsworth to, well... The Limit. What's making you nervous? Oh, death is usually a, death a is The Thor actor telling me his main goal in doing the show. Try to live longer. We see him conquer fear by hanging off a building. There's an Arctic plunge that he says was the toughest thing physically. You're going to have to override the message that your brain is telling you that you're dying. But his biggest takeaway is that you have to manage stress. You can do everything else right. If you're full of cortisol or walking around in a state of fight or flight, then uh, you're really behind the eight ball. Limitless, out now on Disney Plus. Disney's the parent company of ABC News. Chase and Athenson, ABC News, Hollywood.
and Limitless. So I apologize there on the title. Well, is it mainly the stress, the idea of telling yourself, I'm not going to die when you're doing something like a, an Arctic plunge? Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, obviously, I mean, there are circumstances where you can't just tell yourself, I'm not going to die here. You know, if you've, if unfortunately you've, you've been severely injured enough, but doing something like this, is it the matter of that to control? Uh, is our fear what kills us? Well, p- practically, right? Like, theoretically, that's the thing because of exactly what they're talking about, the constant living in fight or flight, the constant management of stress and the the acute stresses that we build up from our just general day's experiences on top of everything else and the mental toughness too. Incredible. Yeah. Interesting putting yourself through that stuff, but more interesting, the production company knowing, no, no, the Arctic Punch won't kill you. Don't worry. It's, we'll put up the signs telling you you're not going to die from this. Just ride with it. <laughs> Coming up, folks, recently a zoo involved in Asian elephant conservation got some extremely surprising and good news. Dr. Danielle Johnkind shares the story in two minutes on Kelly and Company. From your TV, enjoy AMI-audio. Rogers Ignite customers, guys, look for us on channel 146. And SaskTel customers, you guys can find us on channel 555. Visit AMI.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. On Tuesdays, I was thinking, wait, is it a Tuesday? Yes, it is. <laughs> on Tuesdays, we welcome in our veterinarian, Dr. Danielle Jonkind, and we call it Ask a Vet, where we talk about all things related to our uh, furry friends, our animal friends, our pets, and beyond our pets as well. And we hear a lot about conservation and bio di- biodiversity disasters in the news. And every once in a while, though, we hope for and hear about a feel-good story with uh, some positive news and things to make us feel good. Put a smile on our face. Now, Asian elephants are listed as an endangered species by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. But in October, a zoo involving an Asian elephant conservation got some extremely surprising and good news. So this is the good news that we're going to talk about today on Ask a Vet with Dr. Danielle Jonkind. I'm looking forward to it. I love elephants, Danielle. Tell us a bit about Asian elephants, first of all. Uh, well, there's apparently three species of elephants in the world. Um, the African savanna elephants are probably the most famous, the ones you see in all the nature documentaries, you know. Um, there are apparently also African forest elephants, which are a little smaller, and Asian elephants as well. So I guess in the wild, um, Asian elephants live in forests across South and Southeastern Asia, and they prefer to eat things like grass, bamboo, and palm plants in the wild. But they apparently like some cultivated human crops like rice, bananas, and sugarcane as well, which I gather doesn't always go on, uh, go over very well. <laughs> but um, you can actually tell them apart from African elephants as they, they're a little bit smaller. You know, they have smaller ears. Um, and their heads are a different shape. So African elephants have this, you know, kind of dome-shaped rounded top to their head, while Asian elephants have sort of a groove down the center of the top of the head. So there's like two slight humps on either side. Um, Asian elephants um, apparently don't always grow tusks, you know, and mm. if they do, mm. 
the males are the only ones to have true tusks. The females have, you know, um, something smaller. And uh, these tend to be smaller than the tusks of the African elephants. Um, I also understand that Asian elephants have a prominent place in the Hindu religion in South Asia being considered a sacred animal to followers of that faith. So lots of cool facts out there about Asian elephants. Is there ever? Mm -hmm. Wow. So what is the conservation status about the elephant? Well, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, which we'll call IUCN because that's not such a mouthful to say. Exactly. A little easier. <laughs> that's right. They they keep ta- tabs on this kind of stuff, and their website says that there's only 48,000 to 50,000 Asian elephants that remain in the wild. Oh. Um, they're apparently spread out over 13 countries, um, but 60% of the wild population lives in India. Uh, the rest of the countries host much smaller populations of individuals, with only Myanmar, Sri Lanka, Thailand, and Malaysia having populations bigger than 2,000 elephants. Um, the populations in Vietnam and Indonesia apparently are critically endangered. And, you know, the IUCN lists two big problems with conservation efforts for the wild Asian elephant population, um, and those problems are habitat loss and conflict with humans. So, of course, like everything else, you know, suitable habitat for these animals is shrinking and um, patches of suitable habitat are becoming isolated from each other. And it's important to remember, you know, elephants are these huge herbivores, you know, which means they eat down available vegetation in one area and move on to another area. Um, So, you know, some... And they're really important to the ecology of the the area. You know, some plants can only germinate when their seeds have passed through the digestive tract of an elephant. Um, But they're rapidly losing the ability to go anywhere or get to other suitable places for them to be when they need to move. Um, Because, of course, human encroachment into wilderness areas and climate change, you know, are causing problems. And, in fact, it's estimated to reduce their currently available habitat by 42%. And since they don't already have enough space, you know, that potential loss is a big deal. Um, The other issue, of course, is conflict with people. Elephants are huge animals, and they can Mm -hmm. be extremely dangerous when they're provoked. Um, In their need to get to places where they can find food and water, they now sometimes have to travel through places where people have settled. And the IUCN website reports there are 400 human deaths annually from elephant attacks in India alone and 100 elephant deaths from interactions with humans annually. Yeah, so, you know, the more that people and elephants encroach into each other's areas, you know, the worse that problem becomes. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. What what a scary number on the 100 with the interactions with, like, yeah, it's just frightening. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, you know, the IUCN is, you know, recommending conserving elephant habitat and establishing safe corridors for them to travel, you know, between these areas so that, you know, it keeps people and elephants both safe. You know, it's a really great idea. And that is a a very particular thing, you know, because we think about uh, habitats for animals, wild animals, but we never necessarily think about, okay, but what happens if they want to move? From one place to another. That's really interesting. And besides habitat preservation, Danielle, what else is being done to conserve Asian Asian elephants? Well, there are many zoos um, that participate in breeding programs related to conserving endangered species. And of course, the Asian elephant is no exception to that. 
Um, zoos can belong to organizations that help foster collaboration in conservation and promoting genetic diversity in captive elephant populations. So, you know, there is an organization called the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, or AZA, um, which regularly inspects facilities and, you know, they make sure that they're meeting the best standards for things like animal housing, behavioral enrichment, nutrition, veterinary care. And, of course, you know, it's important because this AZA membership allows zoos to participate in their species survival plan. So, of course, on its own, one zoo may have access to only a small population of a particular species. So if you want to maintain genetic diversity, you're going to need access to a larger population of individuals um, to do that, um, which is where this accreditation and membership in a conservation-focused organization becomes really helpful. Um, well, we'd all prefer to see healthy populations of elephants roaming the wild. You know, captive breeding programs for Asian elephants can at least help with some conservation and with educating the public, too. So I think that's another thing that, uh, you know, they're kind of looking at and working on. Yeah. Well, you get to where you need to do what you need to do to, for that conservation and support. I, I mean, I love the idea back what you said a while ago about at least making sure they have a way, their roadway their to get from point A to point B to do things and to be safe while doing it, especially on those those interactions. I I, I find that really, sh- it shakes you up when you hear those kinds of things, those kind of numbers and realize avoidable. You know, we, we can do things to avoid having to lose these animals or these interactions or, or, or um, you know, what have you. Um, Danielle, do you want to get in this feel-good story that you have for us today on the show? I do, I do, because this is so exciting. (laughs) So um, one of those AZA-accredited zoos in the U.S., um, the Rosamond Gifford Zoo in New York State, has a breeding program for their Asian elephants. And their elephants, Doc and Mali, have had successful pregnancies before, but on October 24th, Mali surprised everybody by successfully delivering twins. Okay, so they were two boys. Yeah, the first weighed in at 220 pounds, and his brother arrived 10 hours later and weighed 237 pounds. Those are big babies. (laughs) No kidding. That's amazing. Well, I'm not going to lie. When you started saying weight, I didn't even think that this could be in the hundreds, but obviously we're talking about elephants. Uh, Are twins common with elephants? Apparently not, you know. Um, The zoo's website explains that less than 1% of elephant births are twins and that the complication rate of twin births is really high. So, you know, the twins most often don't survive it and sometimes the mom doesn't either. So, you know, the the zoo website also says that elephants are extremely difficult to ultrasound. So though the zoo staff knew that Mally was pregnant, they had no idea that she was pregnant with twins. So I imagine it must have been quite a surprise when baby number two was born. Yeah. Oh, wait, <laughs> yeah, wait, for look. Sure. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Is that another one? <laughs> but the zoo reports that the second calf was a little bit weaker than the first at birth. So the zoo staff and their veterinary team jumped in to help him out. And now mom and both babies are doing well. And, you know, looking at pictures and videos of them online, oh, my goodness, they are so cute. <laughs> I I really didn't expect them to have so much hair, but these two little guys were positively fuzzy in their newborn photos. And I'm always 
amazed, you know, at how well-developed herd animals are at birth. And elephants, of course, are no exception. You know, at only a few weeks of age, these little guys are off and running with their older herd mates. They're perfect miniature little versions of adult elephants. And, you know, I guess it shouldn't really surprise me. Elephants have the longest pregnancy of any mammal. Like, they carry their babies for almost two years. So that gives them a lot of time to grow and develop compared to a lot of other animal babies. Yeah, two years. In in the wild, Danielle, does that second baby have more of a chance to survive or more in a situation like this, do you think? Oh, I think definitely more here, like in a a captivity. No, because I think if they hadn't intervened to help that little guy, they might not have made it. Right. That's quite possible. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. That's really incredible. So, uh, how many elephants uh, now in the zoo's herd? Well, you know, the birth of the twins um, brings the Rosamond Gifford Zoo's Asian elephant herd to eight. So um, the mom, Mally, and the dad, Doc, live also with Mally's mother, Targa, and her half-sister, Karina. And there are also two unrelated aunties in the herd, Romani and Siri. And that's actually pretty close to the composition of a wild elephant herd, which is Mm -hmm. usually a a multi-generational group of related females with their offspring. So Mally doesn't actually know it, but she made history. Her twins are the first successful twin elephant pregnancy in the U.S., believe it or not. (laughs) Wow. This is amazing. I, I love hearing these kind of stories because, A, I think we're just, we don't hear um, often about and, and don't understand too much about elephants and other, you know, big animals, right? So um, it's fantastic, but I still can't get over two years of a pregnancy. Mm. And especially of in twins captivity. and not well, even knowing they're twins. And especially in <laughs> captivity, because we're always saying, oh my goodness, it, it can be tough. It's, you know, bad. But here's the case of potential uh, growth of the herd or uh, not so much the herd, but having this kind of thing, keeping the species healthy and out the there and, and just yeah. saving. And I, you know, cause a lot of time we think, how the heck do we keep these big animals in, in captivity safe? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, um, the accreditation is really good, uh, you know, to make sure that the zoos are doing a good job and, you know, that they, um, they're doing at least, you know, trying to preserve the genetic diversity of, of, you know, what animals they have and all that. I think, you know, all these efforts, every little bit helps, you know, um, the, uh, the other story that was really, was really good was another zoo down in the U S and I can't remember the life of me. I just saw this online the other day. Um, a chimpanzee mom who, um, had some difficulties with delivering her baby ended up going Mm -hmm. um, for a c-section and um, the baby was a little bit frail after birth so they they kept it for two days to make sure it was stable before they put it back in the mom's enclosure and the zoo posted the video of the mom finding the baby they wrapped him up in a blanket and they put him in like her little nest area in her in her kennel and you should see this video i cried it was so gorgeous Of this mom coming back to her 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 room and finding this baby and going, oh, it's my baby. Yes, <laughs> of course. Oh my goodness. Well, we love it. Thank you so much for sharing this one and a little education on Asian elephants. Appreciate your time. Okay, you guys have a good week. Thank you. You too. Next week we're going to talk about a symptom of disease in pets, and it's not eating when and when we shouldn't, when we shouldn't, when we shouldn't be worried about this in our pets. Dr. Danielle Johnkind.
Up next, folks, nutritionist Julia Carenches brings us ways to stay calm or practice calmness during the holiday season. Stay tuned. Rami Amuthan, Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts of Kelly & Company. Thanks for being with us wherever you're listening in around the world, maybe via OOTunes or the Radio Player Canada app. Maybe you're at your computer checking us out through AMI.ca, where you can live stream AMI-audio. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you being on board with us for this edition of Kelly & Company. Remember, first repeat of the program at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Check us out when you have a chance. Well, it's time to get into our uh, nutrition conversation, and I, I, I love it. Today, we're going to go in a, a bit of a different way than what I think as we introduce here the subject. You will say, what? Really? Yeah, sure. Why not? But every other Tuesday, we are joined by Julia Caranchis, our nutritionist. Today, we're chatting about how to stay calm, Julia. Yes. Well, I thought we should chat about this because, you know, it is part of our wellness journey. And winter is here. And with that, a sense of busyness, whether you've just taken a vacation and are trying to get back into the groove of everyday life or are already planning for the holidays, this time of year seems to be accompanied by a sense of busyness. So today we're going to talk about ways to stay calm or really just practice calmness yeah. in general. It's a tough time of year because there's always so much on people's minds, a lot of anxiety, a yeah. lot of stress as we were talking off the top of the show. Is it that real divider in our life that kind of between be feeling healthy and not being stressed out? So would staying calm be the same as reducing stress? I, I, I think so. When, you know, when we're stressed is when we seem to get anxious. And, mm -hmm. you know, for myself, when I'm anxious, I'm not calm. I am the total opposite. Yeah, agitated, um, everything. Know, absolutely. And, and when you, you know, if you're out in public or, you know, overhearing somebody's conversations with somebody in their life, whenever you hear someone talking a mile a minute of all the things they need to do or that they're thinking of or they're worried about, you also tend to hear that parent, that friend, that spouse, that somebody beside them say, calm down, which we know never works, right? Those words don't induce feelings of calmness at all. So mm. it's, you know, aside from saying calm down, like what, what can we do? It's, you know, why I thought we should have this conversation. Yeah. I mean, most of us are guilty for this calm down thing because it's like reactionary yeah. uh, yes. the phrase that you hope is helpful, but we all know it isn't. So well, anyway, it's almost dismissive, right? Just <laughs> calm down, calm and, and it, it seems yeah. to do the opposite, which is to get people feeling like you're invalidating them. Um, what can we do to help ourselves calm down, maybe help others calm down, but let's start with ourselves. Right. So I've, I've learned a lot about this through parenting a toddler because obviously you're like, calm down. Inspiration. They can't, you know, <laughs> right? They, they can't calm down. So how do we show them how to do that? And I feel like this is where my thought train had come from is, well, there actually are quite a few things that we can do on our own to help ourselves, which I think is number one. And the easiest would be 
slow, deep breaths. So as you inhale through your nose, you produce nitric oxide that helps to regulate your nervous system. So just breathe slowly and deeply in and out through your nose. So the nice thing about this is that you can stop and do this anywhere at any time, whether you're inside or you're outside. You know, if you're in a meeting, you can excuse yourself and go in the hall or the bathroom. If you're working from home, I mean, you can just sit at your desk and have a couple of minutes where you're just, or even seconds where you're just taking really deep breaths. If you're out, you know, in public transportation, maybe just don't get on that subway or that bus, wait for the next one and just stand and breathe for a minute. Um, So this is, this is something that's great because it's completely within your control to do. You don't have to rely on your situation or somebody else to, to help you. So breathing um, is, is, I think, number one. And I would encourage everybody to give that, that one a go. It, it's amazing what it does, right? And, and again, most people are used to this. We hear about it. And when you see somebody, you know, yeah. you don't, you're yeah. not as quick to think, are you having trouble? Do I need to interfere? Who do you want me to call? Right. Right. We, we can give them a few breaths, and um, you know, because we all know we all do it. We all should do it. And, and certainly everyone yeah. needs it. Um, Absolutely. And instead of saying calm down, maybe we could say, oh, just take a breath, take a breath. You know, maybe that might be a nice cue. Take a breath. Um, And again, I know sometimes people feel, would you just leave me be? And I think sometimes that's that's what it takes, especially when you notice someone's just, you you know, you know if they're in any other distress um, by other reactions. Mm -hmm. But when we talk about breathing, it almost sounds a little bit when you take that time like a mini meditation, which can also help. Absolutely. So if you have more time and are able to be in a quiet space, then meditation can help a lot. And and keep in mind that this is a practice. So the more often you do it, the better you do become at not letting your mind wander, which is very normal. Um, There's a lot of apps, like free apps that you can download on your phone that guide you through meditation. And they're great because some are as quick as, three to five minutes. Um, but again, I mean, it, it takes a little bit longer. And if you're uh, in a job where you maybe don't have five minutes to sit still with your eyes closed, that might not work. I mean, if you're sitting in a chair and you're trying to block everybody else around you out, that, that might not work for your work environment. But if you have more time, meditation can help a lot. And again, it's a practice. So sometimes it might feel awkward at first, but there's those apps that you can use that guide you through, and all you really have to do is listen, and they're, they're, they can be helpful. And start where you're at, right? So starting mm-hmm. at a place that seems realistic to you, that feel yeah. like you can handle, you know, no one's um, encouraging you to go home today and do a two-hour meditation so that you can get in, right. in the habit of it. Absolutely. Right, and that's such a good point, you know, start where you're at, recognize, recognize where you're at. And like, you know, don't expect that you don't, maybe don't have any expectations. Mm -hmm. I think is is a big takeaway for a lot of things, you know, keep your expect, just don't have expectations in that way. You won't have that disappointment. If you're like, Oh, well, I kept thinking about my lunch. I mean, sure. We all do, you know, sometimes your mind just wanders and that's why it's, it's a practice. Yeah. And we've heard we've heard such I mean, 
I don't know if professional is, is really the word, but experts, people who meditate um, uh, all the time and do it well. And it's, it's part of their mm-hmm. like concrete day to day. We hear them say it all the time that it's not about not letting your mind wander or having this strict stance on what meditation is and isn't, um, but really to just understand that that is part of it and part of the practice is right. to actually practice. So you have some ideas, Julia, of how we can maybe um, implement meditation. It sounds like it could be something we implement into our morning or nighttime routine. Yeah, so I do think like with breathing, your your response is immediate. You know, you take a couple of seconds, you have your deep breaths and patient. I think the, the long-term effects are where, or where the really big payoff is at, right? So incorporating it into your routine so that it's, you know, dare I say daily, potentially at least a couple of times a week. But if, if you can make it a routine, it's great because routine helps a lot with feelings of security, which can help reduce anxiety. So developing a nighttime routine can be really helpful. And and when you're doing this, this is where you want to choose things to put into your routine that are manageable and enjoyable. So perhaps a five-minute meditation before you fall asleep is manageable. And so then you're like, okay, well, then I, I can fit that into my nighttime routine. So instead of scrolling on, um, you know, my playlist and listening to these songs that I've already heard or the mm-hmm. new, whatever, or, or listening to a podcast that maybe is a little controversial that will really get your mind going before you sleep. Like that's not a good idea. True crime. But, no right. true crime. Oh man. You know, <laughs> so, but perhaps, okay, you know, meditation during the day isn't going to work for me, but I can definitely fit five minutes into my nighttime routine and I can develop this nighttime routine and I can do that. And then other examples of things to put into a nighttime routine, because again, we know that routines are create these feelings of security, which are, are great to help reduce anxiety, would be listening to music. Um, a bath or a shower could also be in there. And then you know, you fit that meditation in. So maybe you have like a nice warm shower and then you get out and you meditate for five minutes or 10 minutes if you want. Or again, you grow, you start at five minutes and you go to 12 and then you go to 15 and you, you build on it. But these, these calming things, like maybe you want to do it like a body stretch or some yeah. sort of nice yoga. Engage the muscles would... and stuff like that. Uh, or And then... If you take that that hot shower, for some people, that's what just totally relaxes everything. And that's what some people need to get to sleep or that meditation time or do the yoga. Um, It's unbelievable because some people, no problem. They can go to sleep. They can calm themselves enough or let the sleep take over. Yes. What about, what about, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Julia. I would just say I I am not one of those people. So a routine for me is great because it really signals my body that it's, it's time to unwind. Here we go. This is how we're going to fall asleep. And I think mentally, so much of our body, just just as we've talked about in the show already, is controlled by that. If we're tell ourselves, calm yes. down, relax, it's our breathe or or do these things. This is part of the cycle. You know, we're getting ready to wind down. Yes. The body starts literally, you know, just like being, you know, any reaction to anything. Now, what about strenuous activity as part of your routine at night? 
Right. So I personally wouldn't put that into my nighttime routine as it would cause me to eat after. And eating close to sleep can impede the quality of the sleep. And that's, you know, like if you eat and then go to bed, you're, you have this full stomach of food and so your body is trying to digest, but it can't sleep and digest at the same time. So it will impede the quality of the sleep. Right. So, I mean, it, if, if somebody were asking me personally, do I think it's a good idea? I, I don't. Of course, everybody is different. And some people mm. like to, you know, if you've had a, a tough day at work and you have, quote, you know, quote, unquote, steam to burn off, maybe that is helpful for you. But it can, you know, you work out a lot. Sometimes people get hungry after. And then if you want to go to bed, you've got this belly full of food. And that's not great for a restful sleep to have this, you know, a full stomach. But exercise in general would absolutely be helpful. Because it is a great stress buster, you know, if I, if, I, if I can use that funny saying. So even if it's just taking a walk or being out in nature, listening to sounds that are not your phone um, or people, you know, gently talking, that can be helpful. But strenuous exercise, it wouldn't be my number one thing to put into a nighttime. But if you, if you really want to exercise because you know it's healthy and that's the only time of day you have, then... You work, you work with what you got. Same with your sleep calm sounds. Like if you may be somebody who doesn't yes. have that nature to listen to because you live in the middle of downtown, you know, Vancouver or, or Montreal right. or something, if you have a sound that you can listen to that yes. makes you lose yourself, whether it's rain, whether it's a, yeah. a creek you know, yeah. babbling by. Okay. Those things are nature's, really great. Nature's nice. Oh, and they yeah. recommend, you know, when I say they, the, the sleep consultant world with babies they always recommend routine yeah. develop, you know, to help your baby sleep, you develop a routine, but for somehow, mm-hmm. you know, when we, we get older, we, we don't have one, no, but it is no. helpful. I mean, we they, skip on it. Life, life gets in the way. Yeah. Well, life gets in the way yes. and you know, all right. And then we like to tell people how I normally like to do this before I go to bed, but I'm never allowed to nowadays. I've got this to do that yes. to do. Julia, wonderful stuff. Great topic. Thank you. Thanks guys. Join Julia Karanchis for our uh, nutrition talks every other Tuesday right here on Kelly and Company, Opposite Wellness with Francis Wong. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Johnny Tai, a blind artist based in BC, talking about his passion for fine arts and an upcoming residency at the Vancouver Grunt Gallery. We'll speak to him in a moment. Ramya Boothan, Kelly McDonald, host of the program. Thanks for being here with us today. I want to talk a little bit about our podcast. You can subscribe to it using your favorite podcatcher. All you have to do is go on, do a search for AMI Audio, Kelly and Company. We're there. You can listen to the show in segment form. Maybe you hear a contributor or a guest like our upcoming guest, and you, you maybe catch the interview halfway through. Go back and take a listen via the podcast. If you listen to the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience, you can also check out the audio vanity card and any extras that we're able to toss into the full podcast that are there for you. That's the complete podcast. Otherwise, just subscribe and take in the show any way that best suits you. As mentioned, I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio, London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan at the Home Studio in Toronto. It's always very engaging talking with artists and people who love art and getting to know their processes and 
uh, also what they're up to in general because, you know, we like to take a sneak peek. So Johnny Ty is a Richmond, B.C.-based blind martial arts instructor who's recently embarked on this journey to study the fine arts through an exploration of tactile drawing. And we're excited to talk about the next steps that he's uh, taking and some of the other things that he's up to, including an upcoming six-week residency at the Vancouver Grunt Gallery. So, Johnny, it's very nice to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, for anyone who wonder why I sound, I don't sound like my usual self. I'm still recovering from a bit of a flu. So uh, if I got to sneeze or cough during the show, excuse me. Okay. All right. Well, speedy recovery to you, and thanks for taking the time. Uh, and we're excited to talk about this. So first, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you wanted to get into the fine arts. Um, because as I mentioned, you are people in the community know you for your martial arts instruction. Yes, um, a lot of people that know me, uh, even including a lot of close friends uh, that know me for 20, 30 years. They, some people know me as a musician. Some people know me as a counselor for therapy. Some people know me as a martial art guy. Some people know me as a guy who get into some film projects and documentaries. Um, and surprisingly enough, very, very few people knew of my connection to fine art. Uh, but in fact, art has been part of me uh, going way back, way back to when I was in high school. Uh, when I was in high school, one of the awards that I would get pretty much guaranteed every year was the Outstanding Achievement in Fine Art, from uh, mm. grade 9 all the way up to grade 12. Um, when I was uh, getting ready for college, I actually got a, a scholarship from Emily Carr College uh, to study art. But due to various reasons, um, I, at the end, I decided not to take them up on the scholarship. I went into studying psychology instead. Uh, so there was a very, very long period from maybe uh, from when I was 19 to maybe the age of 35 that I, I pretty much just put art on the back burner. I, I thought of it as a part of my life that it was great. It was promising. Uh, but if behind me, I don't have time. I don't have the space. Um, and for the last few years, what I ended up doing was uh, sometimes uh, for some of my closer friends and more artistic, uh, I would uh, uh, do an art work for them for Christmas, uh, just as a sort of a private, personal, private touch on the mm -hmm. Christmas gift. And a couple of my friends actually came back to me and said, you know, you're wasting your talent just giving these away. You need to get into the art world and show, get this, these to the world, and you, you can sell these for thousands of dollars. And I, I was like, you're kidding me. I was thinking, yeah, like, that's encouraging. Like <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that 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 that's what uh, got me sort of uh, back into uh, exploring 
various possibilities into uh, how can I market these? How can I promote my artwork? Um, uh, how to establish a network? And one of the first things that uh, came to me, came uh, to my notice, was the Grant Gallery. Uh, they were doing for the first time. This was the first year they were doing a residency on uh, tactile art, uh, trying to promote uh, more non-visual aspect of art, how to modernize galleries. So, uh, black can uh, get more out of them. Uh, so, of course, that seemed like a godsend to me. And I signed up and uh, was selected. So this is why you um, wanted, like why you applied for this residency because of the tactile art aspect that the Grant Gallery was putting on. Uh, yes, um, because, uh, I, uh, I personally have not known too many other uh, blind, never mind tactile art artists, like blind artists in general. I have not known that many. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, 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 I thought this would be so interesting to be able to uh, learn a bit more about what's out there, who's doing what, and to get my own techniques and experiences out there as well. That's amazing. So, Johnny, when they let you know, hey, we would love to have you a part of this, what did it feel like to score that uh, residency? Uh, I mean, we're talking six weeks of such immersive ability and, and time to be able to perfect what you already know, what you already do, and, and I guess that helps a person with a lot with direction, but how did it feel? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh you know, it's actually quite funny because, like I said, I've never actually professionally uh, pursued uh, fine art. Uh, it was like something I did a lot in high school, and people thought I was great at, but never gotten uh, anywhere with it. So um, when I first got the residency, I was like, oh, cool, I guess this is going to be fun. And then mm -hmm. I was talking to some of my other artist friends, and they said, dude, like getting a residency in to an artist is a big deal. You don't just yeah. say, "Cool, this will be fun." <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I had no idea. But you kind of don't know what it looks like ahead if you've never, like you said, you've never experienced. So for me to say, so what will you do? How will that work? You only have really the theory of what they tell you. You'll be doing this. We'll be exploring that. Right. And you'll be saying, "Okay," <laughs> to right, know exactly. what those days look like. Yeah. Um, Will you give us a little bit more detail on what your tactile art work looks like? When you start in doing this, where do you think, if they say, hey, you, you can kind of create, you can do what you'd like, where will you default to doing or what do you think you'll do? Just so those pro presents you give people, what are they like? <coughs> um, excuse me. <coughs> yeah, like I said, still sick. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, a while ago, uh, when I was talking to uh, uh, someone else in a different project, uh, the idea of art came up. And something that uh, this other person who was also totally blind mentioned, that even if you draw something on a piece of paper that was tactile and you show it to her, she would have no idea what she's feeling because 
you know, like knowing what the horse looks like, feeling a real horse, translating that to what a horse feels like on paper, mm. that's very different. Yep. Yep. Right. So that sort of uh, made a light bulb go on in my head because I all these years of doing art, I mean, I started out uh, doing clay and soapstone and wood carving and stuff like that, but uh, one of my biggest and most unique uh, niches was uh, drawing uh, tactilely. And I always sort of assumed that because I know what the horse feel like on paper, and everyone else who feel it would know. What it right, is. yeah, uh, yeah. And I, I, I had no idea that, that that would even be an issue. Wow. So um, with the Grunt Tactile Art Program, one of my personal goals uh, is I want to create a series of artwork, but I want to create, um, let's say, I want, let, let for, for example, I'll do a fish, but I'll do it in 3D in clay. I'll do the exact same fish on tactile drawing, and then we'll set them out side by side so someone who feels them can know, okay, this is how it translates. This is what it feels like in 3D, and this is what it's going to feel like on paper. But for someone, uh, so for someone think, who could see, it's a bit of a different experience. Yes. Yes. Uh, the Grant Gallery uh, for the tactile uh, experience is going to focus primarily on uh, art that is non-visual. Yeah. So... Uh, this is uh, where it's going to be very interesting. Now, for the uh, visual aspect of art, one of the new techniques I have developed that is immensely interesting is I do tactile drawing on a clear piece of plastic. So mm. what happens is when, uh, when, when you look at it right off the bat, you don't really see what the picture is. Uh, but if you hold it up against the wall and shine a flashlight on it, it mm. actually projects the whole picture onto the wall. Absolutely and, fantastic. Yeah. Um, Johnny, we're about out of time. Can you tell us where people can go to learn a little bit more about yourself and what's going on in your life and keep up with you? Um, well, it's very simple. You go to johnnytiger.com, and that there you can find my documentary, my podcast, and the links to my YouTube channels. I have two YouTube channels. I both connect to johnnytiger.com. You can find everything Johnny Tiger related over there. Amazing. Johnny, thank you so much. Uh, we learned a lot today and all the best with your residency and hope you can uh, sell some nice art. Thank you. Take care. Johnny Ty is a blind artist and martial arts instructor based in BC, amongst all the other things that he does. Uh, We're talking about his passion for fine arts and rediscovered, I guess, and an upcoming residency at the Vancouver Grant Gallery. We have another hour of Kelly and Company Head on our parenting chat. Lucia Belafonte discusses how parents and children can enjoy and embrace the best of the holidays together. Plus, we'll chat with Dan Kershaw, executive director of Furniture Bank, to learn about the scale and prevalence of furniture poverty and how Furniture Bank wants to help. Up next, though, community reporter Tony Freimark highlights Novus the Ability, an international day of persons with disabilities celebration taking place in Medicine Hat. We'll be with her in just a moment.
so wonderful returning for hour two. We promise a lot more good stuff ahead. Uh, Ramya Muth and Kelly. Yeah, especially if you can tell um, deep breaths are absolutely, it's not just me, man. It's science. Do you, uh, <laughs> do you take the time if you're, say, going down into the subway, you're feeling anxiety to step aside and do that? Or do you yeah. get on the train and do it there kind of, you know, or would you, because a uh... lot of time for people... They're hurrying. We're always rushing somewhere. We're nervous about something. I better finish this, even though our body's saying, can we just stop for a moment? Yeah, it's it's one thing that I have really, really taken consideration of in the last couple of years, uh, pandemic, when everything started to slow down with or without our permission and then um, understanding other parts of my my existence as well, like changing a vision right from light to dark and dark mm-hmm. to light i've always been the person to kind of step aside and let my eyes adjust so uh part of that is dealing with the anxiety i was always raised when feeling the way of stressed upset anxiety just you know my parents always say just stop stop breathe yeah. just take it easy take some breaths and let yourself relax just 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 relax and try to settle your mind down so it's always been something i've heard because i think some the body will make you do it if you get that yes. carried away, the body says, listen, I'm taking a break here. I'm going to breathe. I don't care if you want to stay standing. <laughs> it, it, the body has, has its way, so we learn a lot. And like you say, it's it's science. It's it's the health of it. Folks, it's time, as we do on Mondays and Tuesdays, to visit with one of our committee reporters. These folks bring to us some wonderful stuff from their region. Stuff to either preview, maybe an experience they've had, but we get to know a little bit of what's going on in their area. Tony Freimark joins us with news from Medicine Hat, Alberta. Tony, welcome back to the show. Good day to you. Good day to you as well, Kelly. How's it going? All right. We're having a good show, and it's just carrying on further. You've got some wonderful things, and, of course, a lot on our minds. It's International Day of Persons with Disabilities. All these celebrations that are going on, this is a particular one entitled Notice the Ability. Love the title. Now, this is in a Medicine Hat school? That is correct. This is happening at Webster Niblock School. So what's going to be going on on December 1st in the afternoon, they start with a an assembly in the gymnasium, and there's going to be Old Canada. And then after that, the students and staff, they get to participate in three different activities. And these activities could range from learning about vision loss to playing goal ball to sledge hockey to to learning about sign language, and um, it's a really big success, and it really makes the students aware about disabilities and knowing that just because you have a disability, you know, you can do things that you're just going to do them a little bit differently, so that's going to take place on the December 1st. I love... um... And Tony, I kind of, you know, you stop and you see some of the things that they're go- the students are going to be learning a little bit about abilities, empathy, empathy, and how to modify activities. And I, I love that one because with that, it brings out the other two, um, the empathy part to understand or try to put yourself in someone else's shoes, the part of being creative and, and actually going out of your way to try to understand, but mostly realizing 
everybody has abilities, and I think that's great. Of course, also, they're going to learn about signing as, and, and vision loss playing goalball, one of those sports that I speak about, boccia and um, sledge hockey. We, we get so much from people talking about these, well, sledge hockey particularly, and how much fun we were speaking the other day on the show about it. I think it's wonderful getting these these folks to learn, the staff, the students, and showcasing them. So this is tremendous, uh, really wonderful piece. Uh, any thoughts on for yourself when you saw this? Um, it, I'm sure it made you smile and say, wow, th- this is great. This is that many more people talking and thinking about this stuff. It is, um, and I've participated in it before. I taught them Braille and stuff like that, too, so... It's neat to see that side of things. And then the kids, you know, they they take this stuff home and and tell their parents or their family about it too. That's really neat to see. You bet. Wow, sharing it everywhere. We'll put that up on the blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. And second up, Tony, you gave a talk about your experience with uh, sport and recreation and adapting such things for your life. And this was on November 7th, I believe, and it was part of the introduction to adaptive physical education. So tell us more about what happened. That's correct. Well, I don't know how many years I've been doing this, but Sarah Chisholm, she teaches this class at the, the college. and. Yeah, exactly that. She gets me to talk about uh, my visual impairment and how I live it and how sports and rec was adapted for me and how it still is. And um, I tell them about the mobility cane and how how I use that. And then after that, we get to go uh, throw some goal balls around in the gym and blindfold them and see what it's like for them to... Mm -hmm. To uh, do sighted guide as well and have a runner, um, you know, helping them out there. So that's really neat to to see uh, how how they react to that. Yeah, and you said you've been doing this for a while. So over the years, I'm yeah. sure you've gotten some entertaining <laughs> reactions from the demo. <laughs> yeah, some of them. Some of the students have questions. Sometimes it's just Tara, but. It's really an honor to always be asked. You know, there's people living with vision loss, and I'm the one that gets chosen each year. That is that is definitely lovely. And I'm, I'm sure you can attest to this, too, about how much you feel that people are engaged. You said, mentioned that people ask questions, but especially when it comes to sport or some kind of physical demonstration, like sighted guide, um, running, sighted guide in general, goal ball, people, when they try it out, it's kind of like what we talked about earlier on the show about art. When they try it out in a tactile way it's very meaningful and memorable oh for sure yeah it is and then I talked to them about how I was raised on the farm and you know I jumped on those motorbikes and pedal bikes and now I'm just riding the tandem bike right like how it's so different now (laughs) do you mention all the sports and recreational activities that you're part of now in this presentation yeah pretty much pretty much like it varies, right? Like in different different years or whatever else. So, and do you find that people have heard about these already, or are there people who genuinely have no clue, like what a tandem bike is or what goal ball is? I'd say more so they don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. 
which is why something like this is very uh, impactful. And the organization um, that runs this, the PSA, I think is what it's called, uh, you're involved with them as well and the work that they do? Yeah, the Medicine Hat Sport, the Medicine Hat, uh, sorry, Sports and Recreation, that's who runs it. And yes, I take part in their, just their tandem cycling. Got it. Okay. Well, that's awesome. And we've, we put up the uh, details that you sent us with your um, presentation, what you covered up on our blog, ami.ca slash Kelly Co. So people can check that out and um, check out the work that the organization does. Sounds good. Thanks. I'd imagine them. The goal ball would be the thing that people wouldn't, wouldn't know a lot about. Oh, I'm looking ahead here, Tony, and you're going to do nothing but get your exactly. Tony, you're going to do nothing here but get us into trouble, you know, with your last item on the list. This is usually something <laughs> Margaret Weldon wants to take over, mm-hmm. and she'll be trying to figure out how to get out there to, to participate. You know, she'll, she, I, I still expect sometime when that train stops somewhere and the door opens for the entertainment, it'll be Margaret sitting there center stage. Anyway, the Canadian Pacific Holiday Train, the CP Holiday Train, is off and running. Yeah, it's coming, going to roll through Medicine Hat. It hasn't for a couple of years because of because of the situation. But um, yeah, it's a bright, festive holiday train, and uh, they're going to have some mini concerts on there. And they just ask if you go to this that you can bring a cash donation or just bring a perishable food item there, non-perishable food item. Cause it's for the uh, the food bank, so that'll be that'll be cool to see that. I never actually have seen it, but maybe this year I'll go on December the seventh at three o'clock and check it out. Homework. Is that what I hear? That's right. Homework. Homework for Tony. Well, and, and they cost the best, free, or at least please bring a donation. They'll take anything, <laughs> yeah. food, money. Uh, the entertainment is really cool, and, um, you know, when, when you go to it, it is an incredible experience, uh, that's for sure. There's two trains that, that go out through Canada mm-hmm. and the U.S. to do this. Um, really, really a lot of fun at it. I've had to cover it a couple of times for uh, AMI-TV, and it's it's just really something else. And, and wherever you are, lucky enough for it to make a stop is uh, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it sounds like there's some big acts, too, like some country acts. So that's cool, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Tony, of course, as usual, wonderful. Thank you very much. We'll talk down the road. Thank you. You guys have a good rest of this month. Thank you. Tony Freimark, our community reporter, bringing us so many things out there, uh, out in Alberta, in Medicine Hat, and some really great things to talk about today, whether it's the the CP holiday train or um, the tryouts and learning a little bit about disability at a local school, some really wonderful stuff. And in case you want to just recover, maybe you're joining us now, uh, go to the website, uh, check our blog out, ami.ca slash kellyco, where all of the information from Tony's report is posted up there with links so that you can go and check it out and and, uh, make sure you keep up. Uh, Really wonderful to hear from our community reporters, as we do on Kelly and Company, Mondays and Tuesdays. Well, we've got a lot more ahead here on the program. Up next on our parenting chat, Lucia Belafonte discusses how parents and children can enjoy and embrace the best of the holidays together. 
So please stick around. She's got lots of great ideas and conversation to settle you and get you ready and on track. We'll be back. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. I got to tell you, our friends from the Tripping on Air podcast are getting into the holiday spirit. They're giving away a ton of prizes, folks, as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide. Go to ami.ca slash TOA contest to review the list of prizes and enter for your chance to win. The contest closes December 1st at 11.59 p.m. ET. So hurry, please. Also, folks, keep in mind one set of entries per day into the contest. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping on Air Instagram page. So please keep up with it and get yourself entered into the contest. Kelly McDonald here with Romeo Muthan. It's a month where we have a couple of fifth days of the week or of the month, you know, like fifth Tuesday, fifth Wednesday, fifth, that kind yeah. of thing. Weeks. Yeah, which is why um, we want to remind people that you still have another week to read your book, <laughs> The Diamond <laughs> yeah. Eye. I'm sorry. I'm still going on fifth day, fifth, or fifth week. What? Fifth how do you say Fifth day of the month. Yeah, I know. How yeah. do you really fifth relay week. this it's message? Just... But anyway, yeah, yeah, fifth week of the month. And the last Tuesday of the month is when we have our book club. And that's why you have another week. It, today is not it. Ended. Yeah, extended. It feels good. Uh, however, on the fourth Tuesday, no matter if there's book club or not, we still have our parenting chat with Lucia Balavante. So hello, Lucia. You are here. Hello. Nice to be here. <laughs> nice to have you here. And I'm curious to know, because we are talking a lot of holiday stuff, what we have mm. going for us today for topic. I know more holiday stuff. Mm -hmm. But hopefully this will help parents and kids feel the joy and the supposed peace of the holidays. Um, okay. That, so that's today's segment. I mean, we all know it, it can be a really busy time of the year. And so I thought if we keep things in perspective, um, it will hopefully help everyone to feel less stressed. And in particular, Today, we'll focus on approaching the holidays from a child's point of view, um, specifically a child with a disability. All right. Sometimes with all the stress, the things that go on, or just life, you sort of sometimes mm -hmm. forget that, I'm sure. And, you know, there's so many other things, and you gotta, you, you got to always, oh, the holidays, there's so many challenging things to do <laughs> that you really do need to stop and take that um, take a break. Uh, let's start with what parents can do to make holidays a happy one for them and their children. Okay, so I thought, what if we think about what's happening differently around the holidays and then how those changes could possibly impact your child in a way that's not, you know, um, making them feel calm, relaxed, and happy. And so we said that season brings lots of changes with it, both at home outside when you're in the mall, when you're visiting friends and families. It's busier, it's louder, it's crowded, and honestly, it can get a little smellier, right? There's so many aromas and scents going on, and that can cause some anxiety. So if we think about those changes and how they could possibly impact a child, 
And then we can plan effectively. And I really feel that then that will cause less um, stress for both parents and children. And it's, you know, I'll start with one of the first things we've mentioned, um, I've mentioned. It's so easy to get really busy and excited about the festivities. But it's so important that we still maintain a routine because we know routines help children to feel safe and secure, and it helps them to be able to predict what's happening next. And also, when we are keeping with our routines, it helps us as adults be more organized, and that generally helps us feel a lot calmer and more in control, too. So that's a good one. Stick with routines as much. Routine, I know for me, Lucia, I've always, I've been that person ever since I was a child who kind of liked that routine, even the routine from Christmas to Christmas, that for whatever reason or in whatever way I developed (laughs) in my head as to how things should be, especially when I came home from being at the blind school all the rest of the time. Mm -hmm. Now I had the time to be at home. I had time to do the things that while I was at the blind school, I wish I was home, I could do this. Then you throw in Christmas, that time, and all the things that I want to do that I need is normacy. And then along comes mom. Well, we're going to be going here. We've got to, oh, no. We've got to go to the mall. We've got, oh, no. Um, so I understand what you're saying very much so because I, I'm that creature of habit. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, as much as possible, if we can stick to our routines and then involve our children, like you said about right. going out. There's a way that maybe, you know, one parent goes out and one parent is home with a child. Or if it's just a one-parent home, then maybe, you know, you can swap with friends and you can take turns. And so you're doing, as the adult, what you need to do, but we're also keeping our children happy and calm and safe, right? I I know. We have to get creative sometimes. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. along with that... uh, being busy. I also think noise can really be a factor. Honestly, confession for me, noise is a big one. I get, I, I don't like it when it's too noisy. Um, but I know that for children in particular, I think of my son when he was young and it was really challenging for him to be in areas or places where it was noisy. And so, you know, to offset that as a parent, if you are going somewhere where it's going to be a lot noisier, One, you can explain if you're going to the mall why all of a sudden there's all this Christmas music and it's so loud and it's busier. Have that talk and that's okay. And the other thing is if you're going somewhere um, for a visit, like maybe to a party, uh, like a work party or a friend's house where there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of noise, you know, talk about it ahead of time. And, and talk about what you can do if it becomes too much for your child. And simply say to them, you know what, if you're kind of feeling that this is too much, let me know. And we'll go take a quiet little walk together or just go into another room together alone. I think that's important. So that way your child knows that this is what's going to be expected or what they can expect. Sorry. And then there's a way to you know, remove ourselves from that if it becomes too much and we can have some quiet time. Yep. A little quiet time, I find, goes a long way. Um, And as you mentioned, for adults and kids. So that that preparation and option is super helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another thing? Sorry, go, Ramia. Oh, no, I was just going to ask you about the, the... 
other challenge that for kids and for all of us who might be a little bit more concerned about what we're eating, the food over the holidays, whether it be at home or at other people's homes, um, you might be opted into trying a lot of new things when it comes to food. Right. Absolutely. And so we always want to be respectful, both when we're having people in our home and when we're going elsewhere. Um, But again, you know, if we think of trying to maintain a routine and so maybe not having too many things that are different, both for ourselves and children, I think that will be helpful and it'll help keep us feeling um, optimally healthy. So we're not having too many sweets, too many things that are new and different and maybe upsetting to our digestive system because you just don't know. But one of the things I like to remind parents, especially if they're going out somewhere, is remember that. You know, although someone might say dinner is at six, the dinner might actually turn out to be at seven. And so it's a great idea to, um, you know, prepare for that ahead of time by either feeding your child something at home before you're going out or maybe doing a combination of these two things, which is feeding them a bit at home and then also bringing along some really healthy snacks that are clean and easy to eat. Um, Vegetables are great. Cut up fruit is great if that's at all possible. And then that way, if dinner is delayed, your child has something to eat and they're not getting cranky. And when children are not cranky, parents and adults are not cranky. (laughs) (laughs) And it is a big deal in that sense. And I think more people understand that people can get that hangry thing and you want things to eat. I know for myself, I I always got anxiety, especially going to someone's house. Will there be food that I can eat? Not so much will I like it, but will I make a mess? Ah, that's a good one. You know what? Yes. And so that's another thing. I think so depending on uh, on how close you are with the people that you're visiting, you might even, you know, I would go as far as the parent to, to have a conversation and find out what foods will be served. And if there are some foods that are new to your child, why not prepare them ahead of time at home and have a child sit down? You know, I'm going to put this in air quotes, fancy dinner with your child at home. So that then they have the opportunity to eat and explore that situation with those foods and feel a little bit more comfortable when they're going to be somewhere else eating it. And hopefully that will, um, oh, I can't think of the word, um, dissuade that feeling of, like you said, Kelly, you know, you're making a mess. Then you know that, oh, I can do this. I'm not going to make a mess with this new food. Exactly. Uh, it, It would give me... The biggest anxiety, and you don't want to, and again, I know people will hear their kids say, well, what do I don't like it? Or what do, what do I, and you know, last thing you want your mm-hmm. kid to do is, oh, I don't eat that. Can we move on to yeah. changes of smell and furniture? Ah, uh, yes. So, I mean, around the holidays, I, lots of people like to have, like, scented things going on, like potpourri, potpourri, sorry, or um, scented candles lit. And really, I'd I'd like to suggest that maybe we keep things natural. So instead of um, artificial scents, we can have um, scents like cinnamon sticks simmering on a stove instead. Um, Because a lot of people have uh, allergic reactions or adverse reactions to artificial scents. And it might make them... Uh, make it more difficult for them to breathe. And so natural scents tend to be a little bit easier to deal with as well. I'd like to suggest, wouldn't it be fun 
to bake a cake or an apple pie that has lots of cinnamon together with your child. And as it's baking in the oven, that beautiful aroma is wafting through your home. To me, that's way better than a fake candle. Especially <laughs> cinnamon. Cinnamon and apples sound so good. Yeah, that sounds really, yeah. really great. And how about this? I think may seem like a uh, a dismissive point for some of us, but I think it's really important. Um, you, we might consider our kids to be, you know, whiny or complaining about everything and anything during the holidays. But it's important to listen to that, right, Lucia? Because there's a lot of merit to why kids are feeling uncomfortable and and how you can make everybody's days better. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that is really important. So, um, you know, if your child is, is repeatedly saying something, you might be busy, like you said, or you might have a million and what, uh, one other things on your mind. But it is really important to listen to those complaints. Um, in particular, you know, also then how are they feeling and, and, and maybe explore that, especially if it's something that's being repeated by your child. Yeah. And, um, you know, Kelly said smells and furniture, and I'm going to say this is another big one, uh, a complaint that sometimes, you know, a child will outwardly complain about. I know when I was teaching, my students were to often come out and, and say, Miss, I hate when the teacher moves the furniture around. Yep. But, you know, around the holidays, right, because we want to decorate and put more things up or we're having a lot of people over, everything gets shifted. And I think if we really can, it would be great to leave things as they are. But if we must change them, um, depending on the age of your child, why not involve your child first in those changes? Talk about them, have them help you. I mean, they're not going to physically move the sofa. But, you know, if they're along with you as things are changing, perhaps that'll help them to feel a little bit more in control. And then I'd really like to suggest that if things are changed, you know, there might be an adult in the home who has a mobility issue or is um, blind. And those changes, whether it's the adult or the child, can be troublesome. So how about before the house is full with lots of people, go over those changes with either the child or the adult mm-hmm. and, you know, just kind of acclimate to those changes. And then, of course, remind everyone that they're temporary and things will go back to normal. Really important. And then talk about that, too. Don't let your child, like, think that that chair that was moved is still there, but you've moved it. You know, make sure you make a point of saying things are back to normal. Let's take a quick walk around the living room, yep. for example. And it's something as simple and as, uh, like, normal for the holidays as putting up a yeah. Christmas tree. All, all of a sudden there's a Christmas yes. tree in the corner that wasn't there for, you know, 10 months out of the year. Right. Uh, and you're always yep. bringing into it. Lucia, that's it for us today. Thank you so much for bringing these inclusion tips to the table. You are so welcome. Wishing you all a wonderful holiday. <laughs> Thank you. Lucia Belafonte joining us for our parenting segment on the fourth Tuesday of every month. We're going to chat with uh, Dan Kershaw, Executive Director of Furniture Bank, to learn about the scale and prevalence of furniture poverty next and how Furniture Bank wants to help. He'll be with us in just a couple of moments. Poor Grant Hardy, he's he's 
scrambling around um, as he produces segments for next week on the show. Poor Grant has to deal with, as Rumya put it, the fifth day, fifth week, <laughs> right? He fifth has to deal with it day. all. <laughs> because fifth there's a day of the month. Yeah, because there's quite a few holes, though. That that happened when we when when we're blessed with this fifth week. Not that we're That's complaining right. about it, ladies and gentlemen. It, it's it's always good. We figure it out, or these guys do. So uh, Fedora's off to Grant uh, because he's doing some great work, and uh, we're throwing him things, and he's sorting through. So awesome. As a matter of fact, uh, this next subject uh, Grant's been working on for us, and we have a wonderful guest joining us. Let's talk a little bit about his Giving Tuesday approaches. Canadian inboxes will be filled with by charities that will be really utilizing hard-hitting photos used to shock donators into giving. But Furniture Bank, which takes your unwanted furniture and donates it to a new home, has announced a groundbreaking annual campaign. This rewrites the narrative of charitable campaigns out there. And we're going to be speaking to uh, Dan Kershaw, Executive Director of Furniture Bank, to find out how they're raising funds without exploiting people in need. Dan, welcome to the program. Appreciate you joining us on Kelly and Company. Thank you for having me, Kelly. So, Dan, let's uh, start. Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. Go I, I, that's wonderful, sir. I appreciate you taking some time, especially it's a busy time of the year. But can you tell us a little bit about Furniture Bank? Uh, so we get an idea what you guys do and how. Yeah, Furniture Bank, we're, we are a charity uh, based in the Toronto area, but we're supporting uh, organizations like ourselves across the country. And there's a, this is an aspect of poverty that nobody really knows about. Uh, most of your listeners don't think they can actually play a role in supporting ending homelessness. And organizations like Furniture Bank are taking unwanted goods, your sofas, your boxes of dishwares, you know, everything that would go into an empty apartment or empty housing unit, and we're matching it to those families that are coming out of some crisis, uh, and they're moving into housing. Now, what we've seen, um, we've all experienced the increasing costs, and we've seen a surge in um, the need of families that are getting into housing and having nothing to sleep on, nothing to sit on. And the problem we have with a charity is you know, most uh, organizations, they would go and take photos of the people that they're supporting and, and more and highlight the, the pain or the challenges that they're in. But, you know, as a father, uh, as, a, as a person that doesn't want to harm in the work that we do, I couldn't ask a family to please go and have your child lie in their bed of clothes. Uh, please. So, We've applied using the, some this new technology that you may hear about AI. Right. We've taken the stories uh, that our, our uh, families have shared with us and let AI do the work for us. Okay. Which uh, 25 years, I've only we only have three sets of photos that actually illustrate the type of squalor and pain and suffering that people have when they try and live without furniture. Dan. I understand, uh, so, yeah. too, that, again, through history, 
we've had a lot of the, the you know the old saying a picture speaks the thousand words that we want people to be, you know to understand and to see um i couldn't imagine myself saying to someone look even for the the, the better of of the cause you feel so awkward because you you know you're asking someone who's who's living it every day you know can we show people and and no matter how how nicely it's asked now you know, how wonderful the family is and understanding what what the goal end goal is it's a tough thing to get into. We focus so much on just finding people homes and, and securing housing. But um, as you mentioned, most of us may not have an idea of how wide this scale of a problem is, lack of furniture, but mostly how yep. close it is to us too, uh, it, down the street, around the corner, in your building. Yeah. No, it, it, we map you know, where do our, our donors come from. So those who are making sure their furniture gets into the charity to be reprocessed. Uh, we operate in, uh, you know, within a 72-hour cycle. So the donations that we're receiving from the community today are going to be matched in in the homes within 72 hours. We move that quickly. We see 20 families a day, um, so it's logistically very intensive. Uh, but part of most people aren't even aware. So uh, you, know, your listeners will say, "What do I do with my dining room table? I don't want. Yeah. What do I do with my bed frame that my kids don't want?" And it's awareness that's the big issue for us. So. You know, once you actually can see the reality um, of um, of the families that are are living this way, now that they can actually see how uh, they can actually make a difference. I think that's such an amazing when you think about the work that you guys have to do just to to deliver to extract that item from someone's home, sort to get it to where it's going to go and into someone else's home. Um, it, you know, th- th- that's a lot, and like you say, intensive. And at this time of the year, everyone steps up their game even more because you don't want to hear of that kind of thing. A family dealing with that o- over Christmas. So, can we get into the latest campaign, the way that you've designed this, and how yeah. you're marketing? Sure. So you know, artificial intelligence, you've heard the buzz phrase. Um, there's been a lot of controversy about it, a lot of it negative in that it's, it's using uh, you know, uh, computerized uh, systems that where you use uh, you know, more or less a written description of the image you want generated by artificial intelligence. Right. Um, and in our case, we've taken the stories that our clients have given us as the input to this um, uh, process, and it will generate lifelike uh, images that are photorealistic, can fool you into thinking this is really a mother and a daughter sitting on the floor or a child sleeping on the floor. Um, we, we tried to create, took the stories and generated 40 different images of the reality that we have behind closed doors across, across Canada, uh, because you can't see behind you know, that apartment, you just assume that they have furniture. Mm-hmm. Uh, for us, for charities, you know, nobody likes to fund, you know, nobody likes to give their gifts to pay for, for marketing. So we're really excited that the, you know, for us, the return on investment of using this AI technology to take the stories of the people that we've impacted and to actually show uh, a reality, um, you know, that's the campaign's name, you know, this picture isn't real but the reality is. Yes. So we're very excited in that we can let our own clients describe the reality that they are dealing with if they don't get the support of a furniture bank and we'll be able to provide donors. Uh, you know, what does that look like? Uh, because you know, we all, most of us have been fortunate enough to always have furniture around us, mm-hmm. but we're looking mm-hmm. at millions of people who 
are have just enough money for rent, just enough money for the utilities and food, and they're making do by having to live off floors. Yeah, and Dan, it avoids that awkward conversation of simply like, hey, folks need to know about what's going on. People need to read and see the the images that are out there to really believe, understand, and stop and say, oh my goodness, we all have our own way of that kind of message getting to us. But then comes the other part where you're having to do it on the ground. How do you walk up to a family and judge, are they the kind of family I could ask to take you know, a picture of their inside of their empty home or, or whatever to send the message uh, to people? Awkward. Awkward. It's, it can be devastating. You're dealing with people, you know, a mother and child who've just escaped uh, abuse and moving into a new home. Yeah. Uh, you've got newcomers coming in. You've got veterans, people coming out of mental illness. Every social issue we have needs housing, and every single one of those needs a furnished home. It's really important for the listeners that you'll hear the words housing, you'll hear the words home. They are very, very different, and a yep. home only exists when it's furnished. It's so true. And and we're still facing, as you both have been talking about, facing and combating the stigma around talking about that and around, uh, you know, making people understand, even with social assistance, you know, programs, uh, provincial programs that provide you with some kind of support when you're moving you have to do so much convincing people who've gone through it know so much convincing to uh like let the organizations and the government know that hey this is not enough this is not funds for a bed for a couch for chairs for a table for whatever furniture right there's a lot of that happening so what are some other advantages of this kind of campaign, the way that you're running it with Furniture Bank, um, beyond the, you know, removing and uh, the exploitation of it? Yeah, a lot, a lot of the efficacy. Um, most charities, you know, this right now, this coming Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. It's, it's for Canada and I think even the U.S. It is like the very pinnacle of the fundraising season. Um, at the same time, what we're hearing in the news is that even though one-third of Canadians are expected to need, need charities services this holiday season, the, the corollary is true is that the Canadians are saying they're going to donate less. So most of these charities have gone and created very involved, very expensive, very complex resource and money uh, campaigns to try and get the support of their donors. When we look at this approach, it allows us to generate those visuals quickly, uh, tomorrow, when you know, if a family shares their personal experience using this AI technology, we can create images that are photorealistic and match the reality that they've shared with us and show to our donors, this family today came in, this family went home with the furnishings they need for a home. Mm-hmm. So in terms of using IT and, you know, in the charitable sector, it's, the, I think, a first of its kind. Um, and if for us, it's going to be quite uh, empowering for us to be able to show to our donors uh, the impact that they have when they donate financially or to make sure their furniture gets to a local furniture bank. And, you know, I hope it's not too bold to say that not only are you showing donors, but you're showing other organizations, initiatives, charities, um, how you can maximize the the money that people are donating to you yeah. because you said it's a tough time for everybody, right? Furniture or otherwise, it's a tough position for a lot of us now um, to say, 
okay, let's put aside some money for charity, for <laughs> Giving Tuesday, for yeah. anything. Yeah, we, we we looked at, you know, what would the cost be if we were on the assumption we could find the families to let us in to show mm-hmm. the reality of the squalor that they live in. So let's assume that. But to get 40 uh, families in the photos, we were looking at an expense well in excess of $60,000, not something we would have. We were able to do this campaign for out-of-pocket costs of $900 plus postage sending postcards to the furniture donors who've already helped us be homing heroes this year. So it gives a lot of latitude, uh, you know, to take limited resources and do so much more with it than we traditionally are relying on. The traditional charity does very elaborate mailers. There's a lot of expense that goes into these things. Uh, And our hope is, is that other charities can see this isn't a proprietary thing. Anybody can, we can all go out and generate AI art today. Uh, we actually put it on the website how, how we went about doing it. Um, it's not, uh, it's a matter of uh, charities looking at this as a new tool in their uh, toolbox to help reach their own donors for their own particular issues. I have to say, we've talked about AI art on all different levels here on this show, and just uh, technology never ceases to amaze us mm-hmm. because now hearing about it in this angle is still like it feels very new. It feels very like, oh my gosh, are people thinking about this? You know, have we uh, discussed or discovered? Um, that this is a thing, and and especially when it comes to that bigger picture of marketing, Dan, did you find any challenges with utilizing AI art to this extent? Yeah, a lot of it is, it's it's like learning any new tool. It's uh, once it's like learning a bike. It has its own, um, you're interacting with uh, an artificial intelligence computer with, with words. Uh, once you, uh, you know, learn the syntax, uh, you know, it's kind of like going to Starbucks. First time you order a, a complicated Starbucks coffee, you <laughs> make a mistake. But uh, once you learn the lingo and how to, you know, how to shift uh, the features, you can move it very, very quickly into uh, something that is hitting the photorealistic goals that we had. Um, but it also allows us to repeat it. So all, everything that we've learned, we can immediately employ uh, forever on, and all of this artificial intelligence is always improving. Right now, it's static images. I'm sure there's already video out there. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for charities in this charitable sector to really make use of AI. It's we hoped uh, that a it would resonate with donors, uh, that they would see that uh, this is a good way for charities to operate, but also for the charitable sector to see there's yet another tool uh, for them to take advantage of mm-hmm. to do their good work. I want to ask you before we wrap up, um, where else could this technology go? Like when you're talking about charities being able to utilize this uh, upcoming environmental catastrophes, global conflict, hunger, where else do you see this? Yeah, I, I, we've been looking at it through the lens of, you know, for all of us, we're, we're being bombarded. We're in a TikTok world where everything is has to be fast, has to be visual. Uh, but no charity's got the time and resources to do that level of uh, visuals yeah. uh, with the limited resources they have. So, you know, it allows them to take a visual, a visual goal that they have and quickly 
create something that they can immediately put into use without a lot of cost and a lot of time. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping we'll see, you know, it's not intended to uh, fake people. It's definitely, but it's there to highlight. This is a reality that we, you know, we're addressing as a charity. You know, when you Literally donate painting a picture. Yeah, that's that's Literally what it's painting doing. A picture. Yeah. yeah, Dan, thank yeah. you so much for your time. And before we go, where do we go to learn more about Furniture Bank? So the campaign is sitting at uh, www.furniturebank.org/postcard, um, and they can learn about the campaign uh, along with uh, see uh, forty different examples. And if they're really interested in doing it themselves, how we went about doing it. Wow. Fantastic, Dan. Thank you very much for taking time, coming on Kelly and Company, and talking to us about the use of AI in this this application and how we can find out, support, help, and give people their dignity and privacy. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. That was Dan Kershaw, uh, Executive Director of Furniture Bank, telling us about the scale and prevalence of furniture poverty and how Furniture Bank is out there to help. Up next, let's wrap up our show and see what's coming up tomorrow on TV over there at Now with Dave Brown and here, back here on AMI-audio with Kelly and Company. So I remind you to check out the program via the Kelly and Company podcast. You can subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. Listen to the show in segment form. Maybe while you're in there, give us a rating review. Check out the show in its complete form where we toss on the audio vanity card from members of the Kelly and Company team. Uh, Just subscribe. Again, we'd appreciate it. Thank you very much. Listen to the show in your way, in your time. So, Ramya, we got a little bit of a, a note today from our friends over there at AEBC and their partners, actually, as they present the 6th uh, International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference. This is uh, called Empowering Ourselves, Thriving in This New Reality. And we do a lot of talking about the changes in life. Every single segment seems to, at some point, we, we know whether we're saying it, we're thinking it. This is uh, on December 3rd, starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It's a virtual Zoom meeting. Uh, The goal for this year's conference is to share messages to motivate, empower, and thrive. This virtual conference will be available and accessible to all and will feature ASL interpreters and real-time live captioning featuring uh, guest speaker Michael Gotthill, the Accessibility Commissioner, of course. Among other guests that will be available and uh, there the day uh, of this event. AMI will be broadcasting this event live with uh, host, co-host, excuse me, Joey Gutta, uh, who we had on the program yesterday. Registration is free through uh, Eventbrite. Register via email or request any accommodations by emailing abctoronto at gmail.com. So we'll be mentioning that probably every day. If you didn't get all that today, maybe tomorrow, but uh, do check into it. Uh, It's been a very successful event every year that they've had it. So Ramya, going back to segments from today's show, anything particular you want to mention quickly for folks to go back and check out? I will say there was a theme going with our parenting segment and our nutrition segment with Julia Caranches, uh, Parenting with Lucia Belafonte, uh, talking about this 
with Lucia about how we can better enjoy our holidays if we communicate, um, keep things pretty transparent and talk about things before they happen, right? Like the scents, the changes, the food, the exploration, uh, people coming to your house, you going to their house, noise levels, furniture, all kinds of things are changing during the holidays. So if you're, um, you know, all the things that we're going to be spending time with our families and young kids, people with disabilities, this inclusion aspect is really big. But one part of that conversation that stuck with me is uh, what leads me back to meditation with uh, Julia Caranches, which is the meditation, the anxiety, all that can be reduced with a little bit of communication. And breathing. Yeah, calm, and breathing. Calm, for sure. Because whenever my mother changed the house around to accommodate putting up the tree, I usually ran around and came around the corner and <laughs> found out she had changed the house around by wiping out over something. Yeah. Polly D, thank you for being with us to tell us what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. He's one of the producers over on the program. Sir, what's up? Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, Arno Kopecki, our environmental contributor, will give us his impressions of the recently completed COP27 conference. He'll talk about the countries at the conference and their failure to meet their own targets in fighting climate change over the past few years. He'll also discuss some improvements that have happened in the past 10 years on the environmental front and what Canada needs to do to, to be part of that improvement. Our community reporter, Amy Amanti from Vancouver, will tell us about the upcoming Vogelai described production of The Sound of Music. And Kelly, this week, many of us are gearing up for Black Friday shopping. Our contributors, Shiny Sarah Vanamuthu, will tell us how to keep our spending urges in check and avoid making bad purchases on, on uh, that notorious day. And remember, the day extends past oh, Friday. Yes. As yeah. a matter of fact, um, and that's usually to follow suit with the fact that it starts before Black Friday in most cases. <laughs> Paul, thanks a lot, pal. Take care. (laughs) And you guys can catch Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV starting at 9 a.m. in the morning or subscribe to the podcast. Ramya, we're back here at 2 p.m. and I'll talk to you then. Yes, we'll talk then, Kels. We thank uh, uh, Eliza Rocco, too, for uh, teching our show today. Disguise the Limit Youth Organization has a special upcoming anniversary. We'll learn more about the uh, organization and the mission with Margaret Weldon tomorrow on the show. Also, Canadian Blind Hockey hosted the Western Regional Tournament in Calgary last weekend. Jim Crisco will be here to fill us in on the event. It's the Wednesday edition tomorrow of Buzz with Bill as he returns to the program. He's our producer here at AMI. What is employee engagement and how does it differ than just liking your job? Well, Alicia Yardley will be here with us and she'll explain it to us. Reporter Grant Hardy is here with the latest health headlines. And we flip through quirky stories from around the globe with uh, Grant as well on the program on What in the World. We reconvene at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Fedora's off to you, folks. It's very interesting to learn about yourself what moves you. And when we talk about images for people who can see them, and how that may make you donate to help out a crisis, recognize something that this is wrong, that's what happens, or wow, what a wonderful, wonderful act of kindness, what a beautiful place, I want to support it. And for many of us, we may not even know what those things are, especially those of us who can't see. I don't know if I have to hear the right thing, but I remember as a kid, whenever they would show young people in in challenging situations in countries that just couldn't feed all of their their populace. 
Um, and we needed to know this is a problem somewhere, maybe not next door to you, maybe not even in your town, which would be hard to believe because we know people struggle all around us. And pride sometimes keeps people from going for help. Sometimes they'll let you know. And we are to support each other. If we could do that, which is the attempts of letting us know about challenges in other places, for us to put our arms around and, and, and help and support any way we can, the amount we can, and in the way we can. But I often think, since I can't see when I was a kid and I'd hear about, I really had no idea. I listened to the words which would convey the message to me, and I'm sure many of you out there in, in the same position say the same thing. Listen, learn, hear about it. But for some of us, that doesn't work as well. The picture conveys the thousand words that, and, and makes it clearer to us. And sometimes it's reading in your own way, in your own time. I always say I think there's so much more, especially when it comes to the disability community, that people are learning about disability online. You just hope that it's not stuff that's incorrect, not stuff that's made up to frighten people as much as to make people aware. Yeah, there are things we're going to hear that are very accurate and they're scary. There are things we're going to hear that are, are not accurate and don't, you know, you don't want to be misleading people. You just want people to have facts. But I still say a lot of people, despite those challenges of misinformation, there's a lot we're able to pick up in our own way, in our own time, online, and it helps. So when I hear of, of, of different ways to help us learn about challenges out there, because it's so easy to get caught up doing your own thing, I'm always glad. And at least for a while, of course, it sticks with you because it's new to you and, and not the same kind of thing. So that's what we try to do here at Kelly & Company, bring some of these informational things on, but also... Bring them on in different ways so people can consume them in their own way. And hopefully that helps with our own understanding. I, I try never to be afraid to ask a question. I'd rather them kind of hesitate as if they want to say, well, it's pretty obvious. But anyway, I'll tell you anyway. <laughs> I'd rather that and make sure because I'm assuming somebody else out there may be wondering the same thing. And that's Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider. It's my job.